Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Who wants to hear some testimonies? All right, okay, yeah. So, a couple Wednesdays ago, I honestly forgot to share this last Sunday, and that's a boo-boo on me, so... Um, that's, that's when you know you're a parent of a little kid, when you say boo-boo and potty and stuff like that. But, <laughs> but I, uh, a couple Wednesdays back, the last, the last Wednesday we gathered, we prayed for Miss Diana's daughter, Carla. And the next day, on Thursday, she had, she had uh, surgery. Like they, um, the, the preliminary reports was they were going to have to go into her heart. There was an enlarged part of her heart, and they thought they were going to have to put stents in. Well, the church prayed on Wednesday, and we prayed, Lord, we pray that they discover nothing, that the stent's not required, and her heart is normal. And essentially, what happened was, they went in to look at this, and they said, why are we in here? She doesn't need surgery. You want to talk about God hearing stuff? God moving? We prayed Wednesday night and Thursday? Come on. That's God. That's God. That's God. And then also, you guys received a text a couple, week, a couple days ago, a week ago, that we were praying for a couple sets of twins, a set of twins that was very sick. They were in the um, uh, pediatric ICU, and they're home. They're home. Praise God. He hears us when we pray. I'm going to share a testimony that has nothing near as important as that. Those are amazing. But I want, I want you to understand, like, you can pray to God about anything, and he cares because he's your father. He's your father. I can't tell you how many times I'm doing something, and Peyton's like, Dad, look at this, look at this. And like, dude, check this out. I drew, I drew this pterodactyl. Doesn't it look just like a pterodactyl? And it's literally lines on the page. And I'm like, dude, that looks exactly like a pterodactyl. Well, that's how God is with us. And so yesterday morning, I got up. And this is, this is one of those moments like, Father, you know, look at it, you know. Um, but I, I updated my watch. It is 100% sure. Tr- I, I know, like, this is silly. I have a point here. I updated my watch. It is 100% charge. And my watch, normally, I charge it every other day. I just wear it. I'll wear it for 30-something hours and the battery last. I charge it every other day. Well, it was 100% charged. I did the update, and within an hour, it was dead. And then I recharged it yesterday, and I'm like, well, maybe that was an anomaly. And within an hour, it was dead. And then I recharged it again yesterday, and I was getting so frustrated, because I'm like, before this update, this battery would last like 48 hours. I'm so mad right now. And like, I mean, it's only two years old. Amy got it for me for Christmas. Two years ago, I was so aggravated. And grant you, um, it's just a watch. It tells time. But I was mad. And finally that night, I was like, you know, who cares? I'm going to pray about it. I said, Lord, please let my watch work. I took it off the charger this morning. This morning at about 6.45. And it is currently 10.36. And it is at 
God hears our prayers. Like, I know that sounds silly, but it died within an hour, three times yesterday. Three times. And I prayed about it when I went to bed. And then I woke up in the middle of the night, I couldn't sleep, and I prayed for my stinking watch again. <laughs> God hears our prayers, even the little things. Even the little things. So, I'm, I, have two I'm, I'm gonna, I have two requests, real quick. Because, Ames, I, I just want to throw this out to you, because you're amazing. Um, this Wednesday's her birthday, so just remember to say, say happy birthday to her. She is awesome. She's not just the woman of my dreams. She's the woman of my prayers. And um, I'm very blessed. So happy early birthday. Um, just, you know, if you see her... Um, you can send her pamphlets to retirement homes, whatever you need to do for, uh, you knew it was coming. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, um, no, but I would say you can make an event like shooting guns for men sound feminine. <laughs> like I was sitting there thinking, pow, pals? I mean, come on. Like you just in, like injected estrogen into a men's event. Um, <laughs> Men, when you get there today, um, there's an office that you need to go into and um, fill out the release forms and stuff. And I think I'm going to do something today. I think possibly, in fact, the first 10 men for sure that get there, apart from the staff, the first 10 men that get there, the church will cover your range fees. First 10. So um, if there's only 10, well, praise God, you're all free. Um, first 10. And with, with that said... Um, you might want to get there about 3.15 to fill out the stuff. We're going to have a great time. Reminder, bring eye protection and hearing protection. Um, unless you just don't want to hear your wife for the rest of the week, then don't bring hearing protection. Um, it's, going to, it's going to be good. It's going to be, it's going to be a great time. Also, this Friday, this Friday is First Friday, and Amy mentioned that, but I'm going to, this is my request for you. If, even if you can't make it, Please be praying with us. Be praying for the people we're encounter. I know you guys have prayed for, like, Lord, let us reach. But last month, we encountered a demoniac that was just being so defiant. And I know this, that there's power in multiplied prayer. And Jesus encountered a very defiant demoniac. And his disciples asked him, after they were given authority and power to cast out demons, how come we couldn't cast out this demon? And he said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And so if we pray corporately together, imagine the multiplied effort of that. You know, I pray that he's down there again this month and that we're able to get those demons out of him. But um, we need prayer. I'm not Jesus, and I'm not the apostles and let's pray together. In fact, I might even fast and pray part of this week leading into First Friday because that's how serious I am. There's a lot of people down there that need deliverance. And if, if I'm going to be down there, I want to help them see the hope of Jesus. And so, you know, if the Lord lays on your heart, you know, maybe Friday or Thursday to fast with us, fast with us. And if you want to be down there, please come down. We're going to be on the corner, um, maybe not passing out. I don't know what we'll pass out. It's going to be cold. So bundle up is going to be a it's going to be a great time and um, 
Also, this Wednesday with prayer, here's another thing. Um, We're going to be talking about physical healing this Wednesday, and it's going to be a really good moment because this, this is a mandate of the church. I don't know, sometimes we get away from it and then we start talking about this stuff and then we're like, oh, they're that kind of Christian. Well, actually, this is the standard for Christianity. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all nations, and in my name you'll cast out demons, heal the sick, um, speak in new tongues. I mean, like this is, this is part of it. And so it's, Preach the gospel, cast out demons, heal the sick. That's the standard of ministry, and it's never changed. And so we're going to talk about that, and it's going, to, it's going to be a really good Wednesday night. Maybe you want to come, and you're like, man, I've been dealing with some physical stuff myself. We just heard two testimonies of how God's moved in people's bodies. Come. What if you came just believing? Why not put, take God at his word? See what happens. Worst thing can happen is you walk out encouraged. Best thing you can happen, you can walk out completely healed and set free. Amen. You know? So show up. It's going to be a great time. With that said, enough of me talking about that. I'm still talking. I'm going to tell you a joke. Um, I got a couple of them. I got, I got, I got a couple in the, in the chamber. I've, I've been, two weeks I've been out, so I've got to make up for lost time. There is this... Uh, there was this plane that was about to crash, and there was four people on board, and really high-profile people. And the first person hit, um, was uh, the world's best soccer player. I can't remember, Ronaldo or something like that. And um, there's only three parachutes, so that's the dilemma. There's only three parachutes, four people. And Ronaldo, or I can't remember his name, but he's like, hey, this country, the, the Barcelona depends too much on me. I have mi- hundreds of millions of fans worldwide. I can't die on this plane. So he grabs a parachute and jumps out. The second, the second passenger was President Biden. And he said, I am the President of the United States, the leader of the free world, and um, uh, I, I can't die. Like, <laughs> if I die, worse is going to happen. And so he grabbed the second parachute and jumped out. Well, the third passenger was a pope, and the fourth passenger was a 10-year-old little boy. And the pope turned to the 10-year-old little boy, and he said, I've lived a long life. I don't need the parachute. You take my parachute, and you just remember this, and try to live your life to serve Jesus. And the little boy said to the pope, he said, Pope, the United States' smartest president just grabbed my backpack. There's a parachute for you, too. <laughs> so dumb. But the sad part is it's believable. That's the worst part. That, uh, come on. Even if you're Democrat, that's funny. And... um. The, the second joke. The second joke is th- th- there is there is a uh, there's a building that all the single ladies can go to, and um, each floor has eligible men on it, and so 
This single lady, she's wanting to get married, so she goes to the first floor, and the, all the men there, and she can pick a guy out of the floor, but here's the rules. You can go up a floor, but you can't go down a floor. So you can stay at a floor, but you, and so she, she goes to the first floor, and she sees, like, these guys have a job. They're not really that great looking. They're not really family men, but they're stable, and they're loving, and she was like, I think I'm going to go to the second floor. So she goes to the second floor, and the, the men, uh, they're, they're, they're better looking. Um, they have a job, and, and they want a family. And she's like, oh, wow, this is pretty good. I can't wait to see what the third floor has. And so she gets up to the third floor, and these men are fine. And uh, <laughs> they have a job that makes over 100 grand a year, um, and... And, and they, they, they love kids. And she's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I, 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 I kind of want to stay, but I, I, I want to go to the, first, first, uh, the uh, fourth floor. So she gets up there, and these men are all that. And, and, and then they also have a strong romantic streak. So they're, they're gorgeous. They, they make bank. Um, they want children. They have a strong romantic streak. She's like, yes, I can't wait to see. Like, I got to go. I got to see what the fifth floor has. So she gets up there, and these men are all that, except these men are making like seven to, seven to eight figures a year. They have a very strong romantic streak. They work from home. They're, all, they're, they're available, but at the same time, respect distance. And they, they, they want to just pamper their wives. They don't want their wives to lack for anything. And she's like, this is amazing. How can it? And they're drop-dead gorgeous. I mean, like washboard everything. And so, I know this is a weird joke to tell. Um, and so she's like, hey, this is the fifth floor. I can't wait to see what the sixth, I mean, like, there's only six floors. And she gets up to the sixth floor, and this floor has no men on it. It only exists to prove that women are never satisfied. <laughs> Come on, that's good. <laughs> oh, it's so much like, it's true. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Well, clearly Amy stopped on the, what is it, second floor? So like, oh, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Let's, let's, let's focus back in. Let's focus back in. We're talking about marriage today. We're looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 through 11, and... We're in a series called Church in Crisis. And I want to I give you a heads up. This week and next week, after next week's message, we're going to pause this series and we're going to pick it up next year. We'll be half done with the book. And that way we won't be in one book for six months or seven months straight. But we will finish it um, in the spring. But we're going to be half done with the book of 1 Corinthians next year. I would encourage you to continue to finish it. Read it. It's great. But... We're looking at 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 11, and then we're also going to be looking at Ephesians 5, 21 through 28. And Paul is addressing 
some heavy stuff. I don't know if you guys remembered, but the last chapter of 1 Corinthians was a heavy chapter. It, it, it started with quit suing one another, quit, quit putting godly things in world, with, quit addressing godly things with worldly wisdom. That's what he was addressing. And then it ends with sexual immorality and it addresses everything on that sphere. And now he's stepping in and he's trying to help the church live godly marriages. So if you're not married today, I want to tell you, do not check out because this message is still for you because these principles still address every relationship we have. It's not just marriage relationships that are affected by the principles that Paul is trying to get the church to walk by. So we're going to jump right into verse 1, chapter 7. It says, Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. And the reason why there's so much sexual immorality in Corinthians, in Corinth, there is a temple to a Greek god there. And part of the, how they worship Greek gods is there is temple prostitutes. You can go and worship your god, go up to the temple. They had male prostitutes and female prostitutes. And that was part of the, you would go have sex with the prostitute. And that was part of the worship of their pagan gods. And, he's, and so sexual immorality just ran rampant. And he's saying, no, you have to control yourself to honor God because sex is something that God, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that God intended between a husband and a wife. And honestly, when it's in those, when, when it's in that um, confinement, it's not confinement, but when it's in how God intended it, it's actually an act of worship before God and, and, it's, it, and, and it pleasures God that he gave that to us. It's for marriage, and, and this culture was abusing it. I don't know, I mean, I don't, not like our culture can relate. Sex is such a beautiful thing that God intended to give to a husband and a wife, and our culture is abusing it. And then he says this, the husband should fulfill his wife's um, sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. So essentially, it's a wash. Some of you guys will get that tomorrow. If I have authority over her body... She has authority over mine. It's a wash. Suddenly I have a headache. <laughs> oh, come on. I couldn't help it. I, I, Amy's like, she's like, at this point she doesn't even get red when she's embarrassed. It's beautiful. Then he goes on to say, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. So you can give yourself more completely to prayer. In the confines of marriage, I don't know if you guys know this, but sex is part of that relationship to help us walk with God so we aren't covered in lust and ran to the ground in lust. You can't bare knuckle lust enough. You can't. 
You can't, re, like, and God, that's why he's saying, get married. So you're not burning with lust. Because you can, re, you can resist for a while. But you will fall. Because your flesh is so strong. And so he, he's saying, don't deprive each other of this. This is not a manipulation tool. This is not like, well, if you do this, I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back type of thing. That's not what it is. He said the times you refrain from sexual relations within marriage is only to go after God more thoroughly so you can give yourself to prayer. And then he says, afterward, you should come together again so that, what does he say, Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. He's saying, this is really good marriage advice. I'm not commanding you to do this, but this is really something you should put into practice. But I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married or to widows, it is better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than burn with lust. But those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And a husband must not leave his wife. And what he's, and we're going to get into this next week, but what he's getting at is if someone... If one of the parties is born again and one of the parties is not born again, the question was, well, if they're not a Christian, we're unequally yoked. Like, because you, you got to understand, these people were married and one got saved while they're married. And he's saying, like, just because they're not saved, don't leave them. That's not an excuse for divorce. And, and vice versa. And so he's saying, work it out. And then he goes on to say, and we're going to cover this next week, live your life in such a way that they want to have a relationship. How you honor them will, will help them come into a relationship with the Lord. So uh, that is very surface level. Okay? The Corinthian church, I don't know if you've realized this walking through this book, is very immature in their faith. Very immature. They think they're mature, but they're not. And he addressed that earlier in the book. And everywhere else in the New Testament where it deals with marriage, he goes much deeper and much, much uh, deeper in, into the roots of a healthy marriage. But here, he has to deal with the such surface level stuff. Before, if, if he said to the Corinthian church what he said to the Ephesian church, it would just go right over their head. They wouldn't get it. What he's trying to do is give them a base, like quit cheating on each other, quit sleeping around, honor one another, get married, and like basic marriage stuff. But what he's really trying to get them to get to is what he says in Ephesians. Because the Ephesian church is a much more mature church. They have a better understanding, and, and they're, they're not making dumb decisions like the Corinthian church. And so we're going to read, I, I think this is the heart behind the Corinthian church. This is the root of that surface. If you take what we just read in Corinthians, this is the root of it. And we're going to let the Bible interpret the Bible. 
Okay? So in Ephesians 5, 21 through 28, he says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit your husband as unto the Lord. And for husbands, for a husband is the head of a, of a wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so, you, so wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Husbands, do not look at your wife right now. <laughs> All right? Because your command is way heavier and way stronger. For husbands, this means, so I want you to get the context, submit to one another for husbands, submission looks like this. This means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to, to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. What is the root of all of what we just talked about? What's the heart behind it? It's serve and submit. Husbands and wives, serve and submit. Maybe you're not married, but you have people in authority over you. Serve and submit. The word for submit here in Ephesians is this. Hypoteso. And it means this. To subject oneself, obey, to submit to one's control, to yield one's ambition or advice to obey or be subject. That's what it means. That's when, when they read this word, hypoteso, they, they would have saw that. They would have known, like, oh, that's what it means. And here's the thing. This plays out differently for husbands and wives because we're made intentionally different. We're not better than each other. We're beautifully different different than each other though and because we're beautifully different husbands and wives male and female that means submission and servanthood looks different for the wife and the husband we are equal in value to God but we are not equal in responsibility before God and here's a hard pill to swallow because we live in a culture that so permeates, I'm a strong, independent woman, and I'm not against that. But we live in a culture that so, so yells at and screams at to the point that they want to emasculate men at the expense of building up women. And it's not that we're equal in value, but not equal in responsibility, because here's something woman of God, wife of God, that you won't have to do one day. You 
don't have to stand before God for your family. Your husband does. We will be judged before God how we governed our household, how we led. And it's not that I'm, I'm the leader and Amy has to submit to me. It's not like that. But we're equal in value before God. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But we are not equal in responsibility. I'm responsible for her. She's not responsible for me before God. And this is true. Husbands just, you're like, well, that, that doesn't make sense. Statistically, think about the role of a father. If a child is the first to come to Christ in the family, there's a 3% chance that the rest of the family will follow. If a wife or a mother is the first to come to know Christ in the family, there's only a 17% chance the rest of the family will follow. But if a husband and a father is the first to come to know Christ in a family, there's a 93% chance the rest of the family will follow. God made us different, and we have different responsibilities. And here's another statistic which is very interesting. A dual parent home with a husband and a wife where there's children in there, the statistics of the, the children's success go through the roof. But in a single father home, it's the same as a dual parent home. But in a single mother home, they plummet. It's not, I'm not dogging on single mothers, but there's a role of a father. There, why do you think the enemy's attacking the role of the husband and the father so heavily? Different responsibilities. Equal in value, not equal in responsibility. I'm not saying your responsibility is less either. It's just different before the Lord. Amy was such a strong, independent woman before we got married. She was 27 years old when we got married. And even back then, I was looking at retirement homes. And so, um, oh my gosh. Guys, if I make it tonight. <laughs> no, I would, I would, I even talked to her about this this morning because I wanted to make sure I got this right. She said in our first couple of years of marriage, it was a little harder because she was so set in her ways. But she actually said once, you know, that first couple of years, you know, I was 25, she was 27. We were kind of set in our ways a little bit. And we butted heads that first couple of years. We were trying to find that rhythm. And she was trying to figure out what does submission look like. And I was trying to figure out what does lording over her look like. I'm just joking. No, no. I was trying to figure out what, what, what does it look like to lead together and walk this path together. And thinking like, I'm not just responsible for my spiritual well-being. But I got to make sure that she's still going after Jesus. Like, like husbands, fathers, you're, you're your family's pastor. And... And finally, finding that balance, and, and I, I asked her, and she said it was hard, but she said it was such a relief to take that responsibility off of her and, let, and to trust it with me. And I would argue that she's actually even more independent and more strong now than she was then, but in a different way. Because now she has her 
her best friend as her biggest cheerleader and biggest support. She's like, hey, I want to start a business. I'm like, let's go. How can we make it happen? I'm praying with her. I'm praying over her. I'm, I'm petitioning God on her behalf. It, I would say that, and I asked her about this this morning to make sure I'm not just making stuff up, but she has more freedom in this role now than she did before because she's taking responsibility off of herself because it's my responsibility. And there's things I took off of myself that is her responsibility in the house. Now, I'm not talking like just housework or anything like that, but we have different roles. Different roles. Like, for instance, when my kids get hurt, I, could, I, 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 I long for my kids to run to me and just give me hugs. Like, I love that. And Amy hates snuggles. She's like, she does not like cuddles. And it's just like, my kids stumble. They, they can like fracture their leg and I'm like running towards them and they're like blow past me like limping. No dad, I don't want you. And I'm like, <laughs> and she'll go straight to mom. Different roles, different roles. Where, but if my kids are scared, daddy, I'm so scared, I'm so scared. Guess Amy's like, I got this. She's like, no, I don't need you. And don't blow right past mom. I'm like, mom, you can't protect us. Like, they know different roles. I didn't, have to, I didn't have to do that. They know. Children know the different roles. They know what roles a dad and a mom's supposed to have. So with all that said, there, there are elements to have a healthy marriage that Paul is talking about, submitting to one another. Out of reverence, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives um, what does that look like? How does that play out? And there are specific things that come against that because the enemy hates marriage. He hates it. That's why the divorce rate is so high. That's why even in the church, the divorce rate is so high because he hates marriage. He wants to still kill and destroy. If God loves it, the enemy hates it. And so I want to give, I I give us three practical things to safeguard our marriage, to help us Walk out what the Apostle Paul's talking about to these churches. It's not about sex. It's not about um, giving each other what we want physically. That's surface level. If you've been married more than a week, you understand that sex is probably, I don't know, I don't want to put a percentage on it because some of you guys are like, that's really low. And some of you guys are like, well, that's really high. Um, but <laughs> but it's, it's, it just, it's not the main part. And so I think, how does this look out? And, and the root behind what he's saying is a couple things. And this is, I think this is how it plays out in our relationships. I think the first thing we do to safeguard our marriage and to have a healthy marriage, to fight against the enemy in our marriage, because the enemy's coming at, he's trying to wedge stuff into your marriage all the time. If you don't think that, you are deceived so the first thing I think we should do is we fight against the crazy cycle. We fight against the crazy cycle. Let's define what the crazy cycle is, because some of you guys might not have ever heard this. This is actually a marriage term. This is a marriage term. The crazy cycle in marriage. This is what it is. The crazy cycle is when a husband does not feel respect, he does not show love. And when a, lo when a wife does not feel loved, she does not show respect. And you see how that cycles? Well, the husband 
she doesn't respect me. So I'm going to withhold my love for her. I'm, I'm just not, I'm not going to go out of my way to serve her. I'm not going to go out of my way to do things for her because she's disrespecting my ego, essentially. And then the wife is like, he's being so brash and so mean and so angry all the time. And like, why is he like that? I'm not going to respect someone that, disrespe- like, that doesn't love me. And then it goes on and on and on. And this is a marriage killer. And the enemy loves it. And then the enemy's really good about, remember that one time they did this? Oh yeah, remember that. There's a reason why God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. The enemy just has a long list. Men are so good at this because we can't remember what we ate yesterday for breakfast. It's not that we don't want to remember a wrong, it's just that we can't. The good news is there's a way to break it. We, and here's the thing. We have to fight against this. You don't naturally, you don't na- you naturally gravitate towards this in your marriage because your flesh wants to do this. Apart from the Holy Spirit, this is, this is the default. And the enemy's made it that way. But there is a way to fight against it. Men and women operate differently. I don't know if you knew that. And we're different intentionally by God's design. For instance, women, I'm going to give you a huge, you guys already know this, but a reminder. Men, we are literal. We are literal. Like, for instance, I'll I'll give you an example. Like, we we can't read between the lines. We, We just can't. It's not in our vocabulary. We are literal. For instance, if I'm getting up, if, say, say Amy and I are just both watching. Not to say this ever happened. It's definitely happened. Um, so, but I'm, I'm, we're watching a movie, and I get up to go get a bowl of ice cream. So I, I get up, and she goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to go get a bowl of ice cream. And she goes, okay. She'll say, okay. So I'll go get my bowl of ice cream, and I'll come back and sit down and start eating my bowl of ice cream. And she'll go, where's my ice cream? And I'm like... I know you want ice cream. She's like, well, we just talked about it. I'm like, no, we didn't. You asked what I was doing, and then you said, okay. Like, literally, that's exactly what happened. Well, she's like, well, I wanted you to get me ice cream. I'm like, how would I know that? You didn't ask me. Like, I would, I, I would get up. I'm like, I will happily get you ice cream. I don't mind at all. It doesn't bother me at all. I, in fact, I would love to do that for you. I want to serve you. But just tell me. And she's like, well, I shouldn't have to tell you. I'm like... I can't reach your mind. I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't, I don't. And then, but, but for her, for instance, if she gets up and watching a movie, I'm like, what are you doing? Well, I'm gonna go get some popcorn. I'm like, oh, would you give me some? And she's like, why do you ask me? Because I want some popcorn. Like, like, and then she knows I want some popcorn. She'll give me some popcorn. And she's like, it, it's just, and, and then she gets annoyed because I ask her. And then, uh, it, it, it's, it's weird, but we're literal. It's literally, it's so literal. That's exactly how it is. All this is just to show how different men and women are. So Paul is giving us precise instruction to these churches. He's telling them how to honor and serve one another. 
And it honors Jesus when we honor and serve one another. We're built intentionally different, so we have to fight against a crazy cycle. There are so many examples I can give you of how we operate differently. We're literal. Women aren't literal. Women think way too much on, like, Amy's like, we got to do this. I'm like, all right, let's do it. She's like, whoa, let's just think through this. I'm like, why? We just got to go do it. I just want to, I just want to go do it. And she's like, well, let's think through what will, I mean, like, and, but that, that can actually lead to offense if we, if we're not willing to communicate, we're not willing to talk and it, and it can give a, it can give a foothold for the crazy cycle to step in because if I'm not careful, I could offend her with my just being, just being literal. Like I'm not like, I don't get mad at all. And, and, you know, like, it's just my brain doesn't read between the lines. And part of, part of fighting against a crazy cycle is to learn how each other communicate and then also talking to one another. Hey, there have been times where Amy's had to come to me and say, I, I didn't feel loved in how you handled that. And there have been times where I had to go to her and say, Ames, like, that was pretty disrespectful. And having that, and you know, and I, I apologize instantly, and I get my apology. Like, she works for the USPS service, so like women, I think your apology goes through the mail sometimes, and it comes back. <laughs> where where men's, we're just like, I'm so sorry, I did not mean that, and we apologize, and we're completely sincere. And Amy has to think about how she disrespected me, and like weighs in and contemplates it, and like I think he's right. Maybe I did. And, 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 but at the end of the day, it's still open communication. But how do we break and guard against this? It's really simple. We swallow our pride. Eat crow. We're not called to be people of ego. We're called to be people of humility, the walking in step. You can't walk in step with the Holy Spirit if you're full of pride. Jesus said you can't be forgiven if you won't forgive. It's, it's a serious business. In fact, he said your sins will be hindered husbands if you mistreat your wives. That's how serious this is. We swallow our pride. It's both and. It's not husbands swallow your pride. and what, It's women and men, husbands and wives, swallow your pride to break this. But husbands, you should lead the way. You're the head. You set the tone. The faster you apologize and sincerely ask for forgiveness of grievance, you're going to show your wife what that looks like. You set the tone. And here's the thing. It's not about, Jesus was asked how many times we should forgive in a day, and he said 77 times 7, and he wasn't giving a number. It was, you're supposed to lose count, not keep track. You set the tone, husbands. You set the tone for forgiveness. You break the cycle. You love your wife, even if she keeps disrespecting you. You go out of your way. I'm going to serve her, and I'm going to love her. Wives, if, even if he's not showing love, you go out of your way. I'm going to respect him, and I'm going to honor him. It's both and. That's how you break the cycle. Wives, you, it's not an option to submit to your husbands either. 
in the American church, we've almost created like, well, it doesn't really. No, it's actually, he, I don't have to expand on this. He actually just said it. It's submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then it says, for wives, this means submit to your husband as unto the Lord. That's not an option, that's a command. Well, he doesn't have to submit to me. No, he doesn't, actually. He has a harder command. To love you. Unconditionally. Well, that's not that hard. Have you looked in the mirror lately? I'm being dead serious. There are two people on planet Earth that I naturally had unconditional love for. My children. The moment they were conceived, I would lay down my life unconditional. It doesn't matter what they do. I will kill for them. I will die for them. I have to work at loving her unconditionally. It is a command. Husbands, love your wives. It doesn't come natural because we had to fall in love and then all the time I have to choose. I love my wife more than I love myself. That's one of my personal declarations. I love my wife more than I love myself. I say that to myself. Not that I'm trying to convince myself. I'm reminding my flesh, my spirit, I love my wife more than I love myself. And it's hard sometimes. Like, well, husbands are like, well, why isn't the wife commanded to love the husband? She is. Her love for you, her command to love for you is wrapped up in your command to love her. If you love your wife well, she's going to love you well back. If you love her unconditionally, it's going to foster that. And, and it's hard. But this breaks the crazy cycle. Keep doing this. It tears that awful cycle apart. It, it breaks it. Maybe you're the only one doing it right now. Keep doing it because it can't stand on one leg. It can't stand. If you're the wife, keep respecting your husband and eventually he will show you love. It breaks it. If you're the husband, keep loving your wife and she will eventually respect. It breaks the crazy cycle. And then the second thought I want to give you today, how do we, how do we live out this command to, um, in marriage to have a healthy marriage? We work for unity. We work for unity. This, this is work. I don't know if you guys noticed, but men and women are different. We're built different. We're made beautifully different. Unity does not come natural between our sexes. We work for it. And there's nuances in those differences, not just, you know, male, female, brains, but then there's personality types. Like usually opposites attract, you know, but like some, some husbands are introverts and wives are extroverts and some wives are introverts and husbands are extroverts. Well, that's where we're at. I'm an omnivert. I'm, I'm a weird creature. Because I can be completely content being alone in the woods, all by myself, with nothing but my mind and my Bible. And at the same time, I love 
being around people. I love Sunday mornings. I love talking to people. I'm weird. Amy, on the other hand, she's not like that. You might think she's an extrovert. She's not. She's a, it's an extroverted introvert, technically. That's the, that's the term. Because we're in ministry, she has to have extroverted characteristics. But she's an introvert. She could be perfectly happy sitting on the front porch doing nothing or laying in the sun. I don't get it. I'm like, this is so boring. Like, I can't do this. Like, she's like, you want to go sit out there? I'm like, what are we going to do? Just sit. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a great time. Like, <laughs> and, but, but she needs that to recharge. I can recharge alone. I can recharge in a group of people. I normally recharge through naps. So, but she needs alone time to recharge. And that was really hard for me early on in our marriage. And we butted heads a lot because I thought, well, I mean, I want to be around my wife all the time. I want to, I want to hang out with her. I want to do all these things. And it was actually really hurting our marriage because I was not allowing her to have alone time. I thought she was always mad at me. I'm like, and I learned very quickly that um, what made her mad was me asking if she was mad. And um, so... <laughs> And, she, and, and finally, I'm like, why, why are you like this? Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. And it boiled back to, and she never told me, but she needed alone time. I guess evidently I could be a little much. <laughs> but we had to work for unity, especially in the early parts of our marriage. And in your marriage, you have to work to, to, to be unified before the Lord because God wants you. God loves unity. Jesus even prayed over the church. He said, I pray that they are one as you and I are one. He wants unity. And what does the enemy do? He steps into marriages, he steps into relationships, and he sows dissension and division. And if there's dissension and division in your marriage, it is from Satan. Just, I want you to understand that. Any dissension and division is from the enemy. God does not operate in dissension or division ever. He operates in unity. He wants you to move forward together. He wants you to operate and think in unity. That does not mean one is better than the other. There are times where how we make decisions is a conversation. There have been very few times in our Marriage, where I said, Ames, I need you to trust me on this. And, and usually what it is, it's a personal conviction that I won't compromise on, or it's something the Lord laid on my heart. And in those moments, she submitted to my leadership in that. She's like, I didn't hear from the Lord concerning this, but I'm going to trust you. In fact, two years ago was one of those times where the Lord laid on my heart to give away a car. And I knew it. And, but the Lord didn't lay that on her heart. And I said, Ames, you have to trust me on this. And she prayed about it for three days. And she said, I don't know. I haven't heard anything, but I trust you. She submitted to me as her head. But most of the time, I'm going to give you a very practical tool for everyone here. This is everyone here. This is a practical tool. Go with the best idea, even if it's not yours. I, I lead with this. Church, me, uh, uh, in the church, board meetings, um, staff meetings, I'll throw an idea like, hey, let's think about this, or I'll throw the general concept out, and 
Or, or it might not, we might not even go with that concept. Unless it's convicted by the Lord, we go with the best idea. And it doesn't have to be yours. There are times where Amy and I are at a stalemate about inconsequential stuff, but we're at a stalemate. And the kids might chime in, why don't we do this? And we're like, that's actually a pretty good idea. And we go with the kid's decision. Because it's the best idea. Because we're at a stalemate. Like, we don't listen to five-year-olds very often. Like, you know, we don't live our life that way. But what I'm getting at is so much of the fights are so dumb. And you have to work for unity. If, if your spouse has a better idea, don't let that be the hill you die on. Don't let it turn into a fight. Just like, wow, that's a better idea. Go for it. Work for unity. God loves unity. The enemy sows dissension. Unity does not come natural to people who are opposites. It's work. It gets easier over time. I truly believe that, but it's work. And there's also been times where Amy said, I think we should do this. And I didn't feel the leadership of the Holy Spirit at all. But because I love my wife and I trust my wife, I'm like, you know what? Let's go. Because we lead together different responsibilities, but she's my partner. We're unified. So even if we disagree, once the decision's made, we're unified in that decision. We work for unity because God loves unity. Unity comes from open communication, though. You can't have unity when you're on different pages, when you're not talking. Talk. Man, that means share your feelings. It might seem weird if you're not like, I can't do that. Well, you're actually robbing your wife. You're robbing that, 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 that person in your life because she wants to know how you're feeling because she loves you. And women, we're literal. Tell us, because we won't know. <laughs> Just being dead honest. Tell us how you're feeling. Because we, I guess haven't been married long enough to read between the lines yet. I think that comes at year 15, 20, I don't know. But tell us. We want to know because we love you unconditionally. And the last thing is we honor one another. That's not just faithfulness. That's everything. We honor one another. But in order to honor her and have a healthy marriage about what Paul's talking about, he's, I know he talked about sex a lot in 1 Corinthians, but that's not what he's getting at. That's the surface because they're so immature. He's getting at healthy marriages. That's why everywhere else in the Bible, it talks about the stuff in, First or in Ephesians. Honor one another. Love one another. Submit to one another. But if I want to honor her, I have to honor the Lord. I can't honor Amy if I'm not going after Jesus. And she can't honor me if she's not going after Jesus. All these, the fight the crazy cycle, have fight, work for unity in your marriage and honor one another is wrapped up in this one picture. 
It should be right there. That. Go after Jesus. I want you to see this. Other, know what that does to that triangle. Well, wives, husbands, if you go towards one another, know what that does to that triangle? It removes your whole foundation. And your marriage will fall apart. If you meet right here in the middle, there's no foundation. If the husband's going towards Jesus and the wife's going towards the husband, it'll topple over. The wife's going towards Jesus and the husband's going towards his wife, it'll topple over. But if you're both going towards Jesus, first of all, you get closer to Jesus. That's amazing. Second of all, second of all, you get closer to each other. The, the closer you get to Jesus, the more intimate and the stronger your relationship with each other will be. We go towards Jesus. We go towards Jesus. We go towards Jesus. If you're, if, I know this is a really heavy married message, but even in relationships where it's not marriage, but you're, you're, you're close to someone, you can't never let that person get between you and Jesus. You go towards Jesus, and if they're a believer, you need to tell them to go towards Jesus, and they'll actually strengthen that relationship. Because Jesus, first and foremost, he's the outlier of my life. I love Jesus so much more than I love my wife and my family. I love my children unconditionally. I love my wife unconditionally. In fact, I tell my children all the time, they're like, who do you love the most on the earth? I said, I love your mom the most on earth. And I said, but that's not who I love the most. And she's like, what do you mean? And like, my daughter can't get this wrapped around her head. She's like, how do you love, like, you, you love mom more than you love me? I'm like, absolutely, 100%. Like, it's like, it is what it is. Like, and I said, I don't know, I still love you with all my heart, but I love your mom more. I don't know how else to say it. And I said, but here's the thing. I love Jesus way more than I love your mom. Jesus actually says, unless, he says, unless you hate your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, your sister, your brother, you're not worthy of being my disciple. And he's not actually saying hate. It, that's a poor interpretation. What he means is, you have to, your love for God, your love for Christ and your walk with him has to be so much higher and so much more than your wife and your husband, your brother, your mom, your dad, that it actually makes this love over here look like hate because this love is so much higher than it. Even though this is still unconditional, this is greater. And the only reason we're able to love unconditionally over here is because he loved us first. The, 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 the template for loving your spouse and your children is wrapped up in we love because he first loved us. God gives you the power to love, the grace to love, because we love him. I can't love my wife properly if I don't love Jesus well. I can't love my children the way they need a, 
a father to love them and direct them if I'm not going after Jesus well. That's not once a week on Sunday. That's day in and day out pursuit of Christ. And maybe you're here today and that's how your walk with God's been. You come to church on Sunday and that's it. Let me tell you, I'm telling you this because I love you. And as your pastor, you're starving to death. God has so much more for you than these feeble words that I say on a Sunday. We all, I mean, dude, just to grow in your word with, just to grow in your relationship with God, just crack open the Bible five minutes a day. You do that every day. You're going to grow. You're going to get fed. And here pretty soon, you won't want to just stop at five minutes. You're going to be wanting to go longer. You're going to be like, man, I want to set aside. I'm going to get up earlier to spend more time in God's word and pray. But we have to prioritize God. And some, some of us, maybe your marriage is struggling because you haven't been prioritizing God. You haven't, you're having a hard time, wives, um, submitting to your husbands and respecting him. And husbands, you're having a hard time loving your wife. And, 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 and I would argue, look at your relationship with Jesus. Because I tell you what, when we're looking at each other, we're not looking at him. When we're throwing dirt at each other, we're only losing ground. You're not called to throw dirt at your spouse. You're not, you know, you're called to go after Jesus and he will restore, he will work, he will nurture, he will grow. He, he will give you a stronger foundation when we go after Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're not married, you're none of that, but you haven't been going after Jesus. I just want to pause and I, I want us to stop for a moment and just pray. We're going to worship here in a second, but I want to stop and I want us to pray. And I want you to ask, this is one way to pray. Holy Spirit, give me a game plan to go after you. I, I, I just want to be quiet for a moment. I can tell you the ingredients of that game plan is going to be prayer and the Bible. But he might give you specifics like, all right, at this time on Monday or whatever it is, he'll give it to you if you ask, if you're hungry. And I think it's going to start popping into your head. And now, and then once it pops into your head, this, this, is, this is where faith comes in. This is where faith comes in. You have to step and do it. You can have a, God can give you a really good game plan. Okay, just stay up five minutes later and do this. Like every night at 1030, do this. Or get up at 530 and do whatever. I don't, I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but what I'm getting at is he'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. And as soon as he gives it to you, this is what's going to happen. When time comes, you're going to have every excuse not to do it. <laughs> you will have every, the enemy will give you every excuse not to step in by faith. And you're going to have to prioritize this. You're going to have to say, no, I know what I heard on Sunday. I'm just going to go for it. And that means even if you have to tell your husband or your wife, in fact, I think that'd be a great accountability. Say, hey, this is what the Lord laid on my heart. And I want you to hold me accountable to this. 
Because I want our church to be growing towards Jesus because we have a whole city to reach and we need to be mature in our faith. And I want us to have strong marriages because there are marriages in our in our city that aren't strong. And they when they come here, we're, they're going to have a whole foundation of people they can talk to and say, wow, look at that marriage. And you can say, well, it's, it's by the grace of God. Let's just stop. Say, Lord, what's your game plan for me to grow in you? here today and you're like, well, I, I didn't get anything. That's all right. Keep asking. Or maybe just start tomorrow morning. Read the Bible and pray. Five to ten minutes. Just go for it. Maybe you're here today and you say, I, I need to give my life to Jesus. He's here to meet with you. So I want to be down here. I'm going to, I'm, as, as we sing, I want you to respond. You're saying, I don't even have a relationship. I want to introduce you to Jesus. It's so simple. It's Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin in my place. And I believe that you rose again. You decide that. You, you believe that in your mouth, in your heart, and you confess with your mouth. You're saved, the Bible says.